Hey everybody, Sean King here. For the month of July, I'm on sabbatical, so we're rerunning some of our favorite episodes of The Breakdown and other North Star podcasts. I hope you enjoy them, and I'll see you again in August with brand new content. guest today. Um, We talk a lot about being woke at work and we have had different versions of what work looks like. And so um, it is exciting to to think about work and and work and activism and all of those things combined in one. And so um, we have with us today Carmen Perez, or Carmen Perez, um, but Carmen Perez is, uh, and just, I'm gonna let y'all, she's gonna speak for herself, but let me just tell y'all a little bit about Carmen, um, is an award-winning, internationally known, I, I feel like I want to start rhyming, by the way, uh, internationally known, but I'm known to rock the microphone, okay, so she is an award-winning, internationally known, civil and human rights leader and Chicana feminist, she's the CEO and president of The Gathering for Justice, She's also the co-founder of Justice League New York City and Justice League California, a two-state-based task force which uh, advanced a juvenile and criminal justice reform agenda, um, where she spearheaded campaigns to free Mike uh, Meek Mill, not Mike Mill, Meek Mill, and take a knee with Colin <laughs> Kaepernick, um, and among many others. Right. So uh, she was also one of the national co-chairs of the 2017 Women's March in Washington, which drew over five million people across the globe. In addition to being named one of Fortune's top 50 world leaders, one of Time's 100 most influential people, Glamour Women of the Year, and Forbes 100 Mujeres Más Poderosas, 100 Women Most Powerful Women, um, Carmen has also been featured uh, as speaker as a speaker at Harvard, at Columbia, the University of California, Santa Cruz, and probably she's a featured speaker in her own home, which she doesn't put in her bio. Um, and she's been <laughs> featured in numerous media outlets, including Forbes, Time, Newsweek, MSNBC, Univision, L, Glamour, Bustle, Common Dreams, and more. Ooh, girl, girl. That's a lot of speaking. Did you know you did all that? Did you? I know I did all that. Welcome to Woke at Work. We are excited to have you. Oh my God, it's such an honor to be with both of you here. It's so good to talk to other women, especially you know where um, I'm. I've been on a whirlwind moving from California to New York City, and now I get to sit and actually chat with some two powerful women, especially women of color. Yay! Yes, yes. <laughs> Blanca and I say all the time, like there's so much that we have to do all day, every day. You know, running after children and husbands, and Blanca's running a zoo in her house, and you know all the all the public and workshops and everything that we do but when we sit down to have these conversations like it is honestly it doesn't really feel like work it feels like you get to sit down and have some girlfriend time Mm -hmm. um you know so we are so excited to have you and I just want to say about Carmen that you and I have like kind of known each other Mm -hmm. you know um for a few years now Um, I came to know you through your activism and, you know, some of the similar work that you and and Sean do. And so I've been following your story. I don't know. Have we met? We did. We did meet in person. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Brown event. Exactly. Exactly. But I feel like I know you. We follow each other on on Instagram. I'm always swooning over your babies. And so um, we don't feel like strangers. A baby fever. Yes. Although my shop is closed. I just want somebody else to have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) But we I do feel like we are we are sisters in the struggle in a lot of ways. Like you know, you are an activist. I don't think, I don't define myself as an activist. People try to all the time. I don't define myself in that way, but obviously I'm married to one. And then we are also both mothers, uh, both wives. And so, you know, sisters in a lot of the struggle, but um, Blanca gave your illustrious bio, but we <laughs> want you to introduce yourselves mm-hmm. for our listeners. You tell our listeners, you know, the identity markers that matter most to you. Well, first of all, thank you both for having me. And Ray, yes, we are sisters in the movement. Uh, Sean is my brother. Uh, I'm a huge supporter and vice versa of uh, Sean, who's really come through. And we've been, you know, kind of at the at the highlight and also at the end light of many things, um, mm-hmm. especially in this world of activism. You never know who's really on your side, but um, yeah. I've always had that brotherhood and sisterhood with him. So um, my identity, you know, I grew up thinking that my identity was hip hop and basketball. I didn't know I was Chicana. I didn't know I was Mexican. I didn't know a lot of things. I just grew up in a neighborhood with a very diverse group of people that came from a Samoan background, a black background, um, Filipino, you know, uh, Rastafarian white guys, you know, so I grew up and I grew up playing basketball. Um, and so our identity was really hip hop and basketball. It wasn't until I went to UC Santa Cruz that I got connected to a professor who looked like me, right? I didn't really have many instructors or professors that looked like me. Her name was Aida, Dr. Aida Hurtado, and she's a Chicana feminist. And I remember when I was in that class, I was like, oh, damn, my mom's a feminist. Like, oh, wait. So I really immersed myself in that identity because my identity as a woman is not monolithic, especially as a woman of color. Um, And my new identity is I'm a wife um, to an excellent person named Jay Jordan, and I am the mother of two amazing little kids that tug on me. I found myself this morning holding both of them and, you know, <laughs> the two-year-old wants to be loved. The mm-hmm. six-month-old wants to be fed. And so I just need to figure out how to manage, like, my body when it comes to them. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm really... I've had the identity as a servant leader for many years. Um, I believe that I was brought to this earth to serve. Um, I have a purpose in my life um, that was given to me and bestowed on me at a very early age, Um, really kind of based on uh, losing my sister um, at a very young age. She was buried and she was killed. And then she was buried on my 17th birthday. Her and I were a day and two years apart. And so at the age of 17, oh, wow. it kind of led me to this path of wanting to change the world. When I was like six years old, I sat on my oldest sister's lap and I said, yo, I'm going to change the world. And, you know, when you have somebody who's 14 years older than you and you like six years old, they're kind of like, yeah, no, you're, you know, you're wilding out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
don't really listen to children in that way. She kind of like brushed it off, but she actually, um, what she didn't know is that she was actually nurturing that in me. And then my middle sister was really the one that gave me the purpose. So I call myself a feminist. I call myself a servant leader. I'm a new mom. Um, I'm a sister. I'm a daughter of, you know, immigrants, farm workers. Um, happy Cesar Chavez Day to everybody. Yeah. And, uh, and so I have multiple identities. Um, but really the one that tugs at me every single day is mom. So, yeah. And yeah. I just want to tell you, girl, this, this not knowing what to do with your body, that does not change as they get older. My kids still fight over who gets to sit next to me on the couch. And then I'm like, okay, guys, let me just move. I'll adjust myself. And that way I'm kind of touching everybody. Right. So it, 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 it doesn't change. Um, and and it's forgot- a beautiful thing though. It is like, yeah. uh, it is both like t- y'all want every piece of me. And right now, <laughs> and then you, you don't get it as much anymore. You're like, oh, dang, I should have embraced those moments. Mine, mine are 20 months 100%. apart. 100%. So I, I was literally, I'm, I was there. Like, they are 20 months apart. And so I was, like, carrying one while the other one was potty trained. Like, it was just a whole lot happening. And so, um, but you're right, Ray. It doesn't, that doesn't change. And um, no. And I was going to say, Carmen, you forgot one identity marker, which is fashion designer, because we we found out that Carmen, like, she's like, is out here making her own clothes. And I think that is so cool. Like you you said, you will see a quote or something and grab a T-shirt and take it over to the mall and be like, make me make me, you know, a sweatshirt or whatever with this. And I think that's so cool. It's my little shirt. You know, I really, um, I love quotes. I love messages. I love positive affirmations. I love just to honor women. And as much as I can, I will put a woman's quote on anything that I'm wearing. So, um, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so let's, uh, so, so a few things, cause you, you mentioned Chicana, you mentioned feminist and like for, for us, we might have one meaning. So as you, as you identify these as your markers, what do they mean for our listeners? Like, what does it mean to be Chicana? Right. Um, and I know people like there are so many terms out there. I don't know if I'm offending someone by calling you something else. I'm like, so mm-hmm. when you self-identify as Chicana, what does that mean? Right. Um, and also I think feminist has its own, right? Like there have been, I remember when it was wasn't taboo to be feminist, then it, then I then when I realized, wait, 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 who gets to be a feminist? Like there was this piece of me that was always a feminine. I'm the only girl. I have five. I have four brothers. I'm the only girl out of five. So you imagine, like, <laughs> what I'm going to do is grow up in a Latino home where you think I'm going to be serving. Like, we're not doing that, right? But I think people had, I, I will say that in my evolution of feminism, I embraced it. I rejected it because I was like, that's for white women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I redefined it uh, to work for me. So I'm just curious as to, you know, because you've been imbo- involved in women's movement, because you've been involved in so many different activi- uh, activist forums, um, what do those two terms mean for you? Yeah, I think those are really great questions. Oftentimes, we in communities of color don't have these definitions, right? Like, I didn't grow up even knowing what a feminist was. That's not language, but we have the lived experience, and a lot of scholars uh, actually gain um, gain visibility based on the studies that they do on us, right? And so 
for me, being Chicana, Chicano um, is really a return to Aslan, to my empire, my indigenous empire. It's owning the fact that I am a colonized person. My mother is from Mexico, uh, but my father is Chicano, born in the United States. He was born here in 1924. His family was here in the 1800s. Um, he didn't cross the border, the border crossed him. So once the United States stole our land from us, he then became a U.S. citizen. And in 1930, he was deported under the Repatriation Act to a country that was not his. He was mm. not Mexico. And so for me, my Chicano identity is holding on to my father and his legacy. It's holding on to the fact that my father, although they were deported to a country that wasn't theirs, um, he came back to, to own what was rightfully his. Um, but it's a return back to our indigenous culture. It's recognizing that we are, you know, my cheekbones don't come because I, you know, I put a what's that stuff on? I, I forget what it's called, but I have like these chiseled features that just, I wake up. Are you, are you, are you talking about contouring? Yes. Like, <laughs> you like I, I woke up like this though. Yeah. Like, like, like when people like, like make, they're like constructing whole new faces. Uh, and my face is just what it, and you know, I used to really be embarrassed about it growing up. I used to be like, man, I have some really like strong features, like I wish my features were strong, strong, softer, but you know, my Chicana identity is um, not assimilating to the American norms um, and to really owning and taking back um, my indigenous teachings, my indigenous culture, and the fact that um, I'm also an American born Mexican. Um, and that's really who I am. Um, I can't go to Mexico and own that Mexican. You know, we live, we as Chicanos live in multiple worlds. Oftentimes we're not good enough for that American. We're not considered American because we're not blonde haired, blue eyed. And we're also carfochos in Mexico. They say, you know, you don't know the language. You're not from here. So we sit in the middle and that's really mm -hmm. Chicana. I'm proud to be Chicana. I'm proud to have um, Mexican roots, um, indigenous identity, um, and also this fight for justice. That's really what Chicanismo means to me is like, we are uh, fighting for the liberation of black and, and brown people. Um, and, and we are, you know, justice fighters. Um, my feminism identity is really not separate from my Chicana identity. I feel like it comes together. Um, I, I understand that white radical feminism did not make room for, for people of color, did not make room for black women, it did not make room for indigenous or, um, and you know, that was really the beginning of white radical feminism from the early 1900s. I mean, Ida B. Wells had to force her way to the front of the parade in the 1910s, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there were black women who um, showed up with their full self saying, you cannot separate my identity um, as uh, somebody who is experiencing economic challenges, um, that is also experiencing racism, that is experiencing sexism. You can't erase that from me. So we are intersectional um, people, right? So black radical feminism really set the foundation for Chicana feminism, um, which I get to, um, you know, fight for as well. And so what we did, and I try to do in the Women's uh, March, was to um, 
change the face of feminism, it not being mm. just white women. Um, but if you believe that women's rights are human rights, then you're welcome to the cause. You're welcome. You know, we say we need you because I need my brother who's sitting in a room that I may not have to actually talk about why it's important to pay women um, to have pay equity in the workplace. Uh, to make sure that women are not being shackled while giving birth, right? So uh, we created what was called the Unity Principles. It was really entry points for people to get involved to allow our identities as a woman to intersect with the intersect with the issues that we cared about. And so my Chicana feminist identity is really showing up with my full self, whether it's me playing ball or me being a mother and really caring about wanting to make sure that we advance the rights of women in this country and around the world. Yeah, I remember going to the women's right, the women's march, and really kind of feeling conflicted about it, honestly, because, you know, I, I took myself and my, my two girls who were teenagers at the time, we made signs and we, um, it was organized by my kids' school. They like, you know, chartered a bus and we all hopped on. We were the only colored people on the bus, okay? Um, you know, it was, you know, the white women with their pink pussy hats and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> Carpet Dogs got big, like, did you really just say that word? But I mean, that's what everybody that's was talking about. Yeah. Right, that's what it was. Well, then, and like, like you said that word, it's the fact that they wanted us to distribute those hats and we did not have the capacity to distribute those hats, but those hats made it all over the country, all over yeah. the world. Yeah. Yeah, they were everywhere. And like, but honestly, like being where I come from, um, a black, religious, conservative kind of background, um, one, you just don't utter that word. And so if my mom listens to this, she's probably clutching her pearls, honestly. But <laughs> it can be difficult as a black woman to always identify with women's movements because culturally there's sometimes you know, a bit of a disconnect where you would never hear me and particularly other black women from my background, Christian background, out in the streets, you know, saying that word. Um, but we still decided to go ahead and participate. And, you know, it was it was a, a moment of tension, right? Because, I, I, like you said, I consider myself a feminist. Really, at, at Spelman College, we, we refer to it as being, a you know, having a womanist. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, worldview, and that is always how I thought of myself. And so I care about reproductive rights. I care about equal pay. And I don't feel like I want to be boxed out of the conversation because I am a black woman and I'm not going to go around hollering about pussy all the time. You know, I'm not going to say that word but all the time, but those things matter to me. And so, you know, it's great to hear you talk about how you have been able to reconcile you know, those those two identities and how your goal in the Women's March was really to um, really make a bigger tent and make room for everyone to feel welcome. And if it hadn't been for your participation and, and Linda Sarsour and Tamika Mallory, I don't think I would have gone because I would not have felt like it was a movement that was made for me to participate, you know? And, and you know, maybe that's another whole other segment really mm -hmm. Right, because there's so much that we could actually dissect when it comes to the Women's March. Um, really, for me, the reason why I got involved is because I never saw myself mm -hmm. on any platform of leadership as a Latina. Mm -hmm. um, 
never saw myself on 17 magazine growing up. I never saw myself, you know, Dolores Huerta is probably one of the only visible Latina women that we see. Um, but I don't have access to leadership. And believe me, I was so tired from coming from California, building Justice League California, that I didn't need another role in society. But I felt it was my responsibility to the young girls to see themselves in a place of leadership that they can accomplish anything. Our fight was not against Trump, right? We've been fighting uh, white supremacist administration since the beginning of the foundation of this country, right? Mm -hmm. This was really about affirming our rights as women. And I'm not just talking about the pussy. I'm not talking about, um, one, not every feminist has a pussy. Two, not all pussies are pink, right? And, yeah. um, you know, this was really about um, creating this connection to identity as a feminist. When, you know, when I sat in Aida's class at UC Santa Cruz, um, the reason why I knew my mom was a feminist because the, the, the term that she used was that um, feminists were strong women. When she was describing a feminist, it talked about a strong woman, a woman who was um, speaking up for the rights of people and things like that. And so, for instance, I believe um, that uh, that for me was my mother, and then that also was me, right? Um, not to say my mother is a religious woman. She travels the world praying for people. So she's she's. A, I grew up in a Catholic home. Um, probably like many Latinos, so. Yeah, I'm laughing because my mother was at church at nine o'clock this morning. Every single day, <laughs> my mother went to church. I went to church with her. Um, I went to Catholic church, I went to Baptist church, and I went to uh, Christian church. I love going to church because of the singing. I just loved it. Um, and God, of course. But one of the things, um, <laughs> to, to your point, is I never saw, I and, and, and Dr. Blanca, like, I wasn't a feminist. I was like, look, I'm hip hop, I'm basketball. Um, and then when I got to college, I was like, I'm straight Chicana. And then with Aida, I was like, I'm a feminist. I'm just like her. Um, and then I rejected it in my late 20s. I was kind of like, yeah, no, it's not for me because I didn't see other Aida Hurtados or Kimberly Crenshaws that actually coined the term intersectional feminist, right, feminism. Um, but then, when I had the opportunity to really lead the Women's March um, for myself, what I will say, it was a gift back to Aida Juntado because I wanted to let her know that I was actually listening all them years when she took me under her wing or when I was like falling asleep in her classroom, I actually was listening. And that was a gift to her. Um, but I also you know, wanted to make sure that people felt welcome. Um, but there is a lot that happened during the Women's March. Um, white women were not ready for women of color to really lead. Um, mm. There was tension within the organizing. Um, there were white women um, that, uh, you know, accused women of color of uh, speaking too directly, um, of being too bossy. Um, mm. And that created a division. There were there was another organization, the same woman who says that she brought us in um, because they needed women to women of color to lead the women's march. Um, meanwhile, everybody loved the fact that we organized it in eight weeks. That we you brought on 
over 500 partners at the Women of Color Grounded in Intersectionality, that we changed the, the name to the Women's March on Washington and asked Bernice King for permission. They loved all the work that we did. They did not like the fact that we got visibility. And because of that, it created a challenge for them. And they, they actually went on and started another organization called March On and then accused us of anti-Semitism in order for them to take us out um, and, 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 and accuse, of, accuse women of color of being prejudiced, um, which really, you know, as you know, Ray, um, really affected us. Um, but I will say that, you know, God, God's really got me, you know. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, although it was one of the hardest times in my life, I've come I've come, I've risen back up from that. Um, and now I support people who actually are going through the same things um, that we potentially went through. Um, but, you know, there is, um, like I said, it could probably be a whole other segment that we can talk about. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you, this is the first time that I actually say this in public. I've never said it to anybody, how there was so much tension with the white women um, who wanted to have the visibility, who loved the fact that the women of color did the work, um, and then mm. who went and spread lies about us. You know? Well, you're in the right place for right. that. That's, that's what I was gonna say, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> because what, what the other thing is that we've had multiple, um, so first of all, we've had, I don't know how many episodes, and this is the first time that Ray has, I think, cursed. and. To have you say such a word, Ray Tanisha King. Girl, you know, know. I'm the first one to drop all kinds of F-bombs. And I was, I was like, listen, I haven't even said it yet. Y'all just so so thank you. But but besides that, I mean just tendencies for sure. You know. I mean, but but besides that, I think the the piece that I'm sure listeners as they're listening and have been is that. I've, you know, the idea that the labor is placed on women of color is not anything new, right? Like this, is, uh, do work and educate, like this is what we talk about, how many women of color in education have like carried the load of work, particularly now that equity work is is everywhere, right? Um, and racial justice work, whatever it is. And so uh, you're not, you're saying stuff that we have heard many listeners, I mean, many of our guests talking about just in different yeah. So like activism it exists in activism. Um, it exists in the, the most liberal of liberal places, right? Like we, yeah. we talk about activism as a place where we're fighting for something, and yet even within there, um, there, there, there is still some of this remnants of white supremacy, right? These remnants of patriarchy that exist, and so, so you, you know, as, as I heard you, I was like, oh, you are telling a story that many people have felt, um, and so while this is your first time verbalizing it. It is a shared experience, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. how, how um, you, you know, in class, how, you know, your, your mother was a feminist, but, you know, it wasn't, she didn't term herself that way. It was her experience. I, I, you know, a lot of people have come in here with the similar experiences of being in spaces where um, I will appreciate your labor, but what I don't appreciate is you, you taking the space. Right. Yeah. And so and it's you- like everybody's saying, like you see nowadays, love our, our rhythm, but not our blues. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and wanting to be able to cherry pick from from our culture and from our gifts um, without giving us the benefit of being able to show up as our full appreciated, 
you know, sell that, like, like Blanca said, that is the story that has been told on this podcast over and over and over again. And so I don't think it would be a surprise to our listeners to hear about it, um, even in the activism space, you know, um, so many people talking, talk about the problem with white liberals, you know, it, it, it mm-hmm. would be so easy to you know, pin all the issues on Donald Trump as if they just started when he came and it just lived with a particular political party or or, or persuasion, but um, but it doesn't. Um, I, I want to hear about, I would love to hear about you as a Chicana woman spending so much of your time advocating for the movement for Black Lives. Um, and actually, we talked, I well, not on this podcast, but um, Linda Sarsour, who I know is one of your comrades in the struggle, um, ha- has talked about this some with um, one of our journalists at the North Star, just about this intersection of, for Linda, being a Muslim woman, you know, on the front lines and the, the fight for Breonna Taylor, for instance. And even you, you know, I see you advocating for, for causes that might be particularly um, tied to the Latin community. Um, I see you talk about, you know, supporting vendors and protecting street vendors and, and different things like that. And particularly in a place like New York, um, maybe even California, when you talk about street vendors and people who, you know, Sean and I have a, a, a lady that we love to buy mangoes from um, in on Fulton Street in Brooklyn. You know, you're talking about um, Latinas for the most part. And so that's the, that's an issue. But what I see you fighting for mostly is the movement for Black lives. How are those struggles intertwined? And how can we continue to support one another? Because there's a lot of fatigue that happens in this space as well. It seems like there just there isn't enough time in the day to raise all the issues connected to our struggles. But how do you um, see those two intersecting and, and, and feel the need to advocate for both. I, um, you know, I've, I've never seen myself as somebody who advocates for Black Lives Matter as something that is um, not in my community, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm, I'm Chicana, I'm straight, <laughs> I'm straight from Cali. Um, we don't live separate from one another, right? Black and brown communities are intertwined. Um, There are some Latino communities, there are some black communities, right? But for the most part, where I grew up in Oxnard, um, we were intertwined. My my principal, Miss Duff, was a black woman. Um, My teachers, Miss Adams, um, Mr. Mack, were black. Um, My coach was a black man. The man... Pat Bell came into my life um, at the age of five and coached me all the way to college. Um, this man uh, didn't say, hey, I can't go into that community because these kids are Samoan, Filipino, uh, and Mexican, um, and Korean. Um, I just want to work with Black kids. He didn't do that. He came in that was monolingual Spanish speaking and he was a black man and was like, yo, I have a place for these young kids to grow up and play basketball, softball, run track and be the best version of themselves. Um, Because of Pat, I feel a responsibility to continue in that work. It may not be coaching basketball at the time, although I'll get back to that at some point, but it's Mm -hmm. 
because Pat made such a significant uh, impact in my life. I'm one of those young people that should have been locked up for a long time. Girls, kids don't make it out my neighborhood. My cousins got locked up at the age of 13 and were imprisoned for little minor things. I don't see black and brown communities separate from one another. So my dedication and my devotion to Black Lives Matter is because I have a devotion and dedication to my people and they are my people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we get into college and then we learn these really big fancy terms. Um, we then begin to isolate one another and white supremacists or white supremacy um, has really begun to show up in our communities when we say we're separate from one another. In California, there were signs in the 1920s and in Texas, right? There were lynchings of Mexicans by the Texas Rangers in the 1920s. There were signs in California that said no Mexicans, no dogs, and no Negroes, right? So Mm -hmm. global was always interconnected. And so I tend to want to focus on our solidarity efforts versus this tension that shows up in brown and black communities. And really the tensions come from the lack of resources, right? Because we have a scarcity scarcity mentality that there isn't enough for any of us. And it also shows up because of the fact that Latinos and African-Americans in the Southwest make up most of the prison population. And... Therefore, if you understand the prison population, you understand that they segregate you in prisons by race. And so you have to pick and choose who you associate with or else there'll be violence put upon you. And that is part of the system that is constantly impacting the ability for us to build with one another. Um, I love Tamika Mallory. I love Linda Sarsour. I will say that we are co-conspirators and in time of... um, attacks, I've not always known how to show up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think every single day, I'm not trying to be a better ally. I'm trying to be a better co-conspirator. And I'm really trying to be a better sister um, because it's not easy when you have spotlights on you, you have hate coming your way, and then there are forces that be that want to separate you as an entity of solidarity, as an image of solidarity. And um, and it's been really harmful. It's been, it's been really difficult. And it was particularly through the Women's March, right? Before that, we had done a lot of work together. Um, I've always worked in prisons. Um, and so therefore, I've been doing work around prison reform or prison abolition for a long time. Um, I've always worked uh, to stop police brutality. But in 2014, when BLM showed up, there was a hashtag to associate with it, right? But my work prior to that has always been around black and brown um, violence prevention, uh, black and brown prison, like black and brown liberation. And I've never seen my community separate from one another. But that, you know, the black community isn't the only community that I show up with. For I also show up for the API community. And again, I think it's because of my childhood. It's really a reflection. The way I show up is the way in which I showed up as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I'm learning so much because like I think one of one of you said, like there's so many new terms that we have to use, right? There's so much um but I, I will say uh, my activism isn't necessarily to appease 
other activists or to appease liberals um, because a lot of the people that I interact with don't have a connection to the hood, like don't have a connection to prison. People do prison reform and have never even been into a prison or have talked to anybody who's in prison. People do work and don't even know families who have been impacted by, you know, police brutality again is not absent from my community. My I, I don't really know if I should show this, but my husband gets pulled over all the time because he's a black man, mm -hmm. right? I'm no longer just fighting for my brothers who I, I witnessed being hogtied at the hands of police when I was 16 years old, who was bringing me home from a basketball game and he was mm -hmm. really profiled. I'm now fighting for my sons and for my husband. So I yeah. should say that's authentic because it is personal to me. Um, yeah. Always show up for Black Lives Matter, um, and I will say I need to ask like our fellow allies to really recognize uh, something. I witnessed this. I'm part of a Yahoo pledge, allyship pledge, um, and it was really centered around how we could be better allies to the Black community. Right? Um, they brought a bunch of influencers together. I don't really know. Didn't know I was an influencer, but hey, I'll take it. <laughs> Make it your bio. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's a lot of things happening in the api community and there's a young man who's um api and he said you know i'm really upset at all of you because you've not made a statement around what's happening mm -hmm. and you know i i can't imagine being chicana and constantly showing up as an ally to the black community and saying, hey, I'm upset at you because you've not talked about the vendors. I'm upset at you because you didn't actually say anything when Donald Trump called Mexicans rapists. I can't imagine being an ally and showing up that way. When you, that's not an ally. An ally is somebody, I show up, when I show up to a BLM event, I show up with full support removing myself and my ego and my issue from the place if i don't see the interconnect if, if i don't see um myself showing up as a way to support and uplift the people that are leading or who are suffering then i shouldn't be there right it's not like you know you can't bring um a therapist or somebody can't bring their own issues to a therapy session you know yeah. what i'm I can't go. Imagine that. Like if, if I were to go somewhere and I'm like, oh, I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. Right. I'm an ally. And you're telling me your problems. And then all of a sudden I'm dumping my problems on you. That's not allyship. And I think we need to like really think about, you know, if we're going to show up for the black community under this racial tension that we see every single day in America where a black person is being killed at the hands of police and there is no justice um, and we can't show up with constantly imposing our own things and we don't need to be showing up because we're doing more harm than any good. And that's wow. where the primitive piece shows up, right? That's where people like, this is performance. This is like the, the flavor of the month right now. Um, and I posted something one day, and I'm not a big poster, so let's get that out of the way. But I posted. Yeah, she rarely posts. I know. I don't. <laughs> you know, I think I post like show for the living the way we show for the dead, right? We got we don't need seven people to get shot somewhere and killed somewhere. We don't need a video for all of a sudden for this to be an issue. We understand how white supremacy functions. It functions in healthcare. It functions in education systems. It functions in criminal justice systems. It come. It functions in court. Like this is not, you know. And so oftentimes we, you know, people need that 
shock value, that wake up call, the, you know, the something, but this has been around. This is the fabric of the country, right? Of this country, of the founding of this country. And so when you say that, it does make me think about, you know, um, I talk a lot about in the in sessions and workshops I do about allyship and co-conspirator work, right? And how allyship is showing up in co-conspirators. And I, I, see, I think of co-conspirators, like, what are you willing to risk, right? Yeah. What are you willing to give up, right? Um, and so anytime I do that at workspaces, people are like, oh, hell no, she's not trying to tell me to give up my job. And I'm like, but it might need you. It yeah. might need you to give up you your job. Give up your table. If you're trying to, you know, be a co-conspirator, conspirator and you don't see other people that we are serving at the table you might need to give up your seat right yeah like and so yeah. one thing like just kind of going back real quick we didn't have co-conspirators in the women's march mm. we didn't have allies we i don't know what the the term before an ally is but yeah. <laughs> the step before the yeah. step before allyship yeah, we didn't even have that. And to your point, Dr. Blanca, like, it's true. Like, I, you know, I my mentor is Harry Belafonte. I've been in, with him for the past 15 years, and he talks a lot about his work with Dr. King. And, you know, Doc, uh, Mr. Belafonte would, he was a, a singer. He was an actor. He'd go and sing his music and make money off of concerts and bring it back to the cause. He wasn't like, Dr. King, you need to do something for me because I gave you this money, you know, that's a whole other conversation around philanthropy. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, um, I was really taken back by this young man. First of all, I, I wanna recognize the harm that's being done to our vendors and being done to the, the Asian uh, Pacific community. Of course, we are here in solidarity and will always show up. But in regards to this particular program, I thought how harmful it was to actually um, minimize the trauma that Black people have experienced and then impose our own. Um, and that's also traumatic when you have to carry somebody else's trauma. Meanwhile, you're also trying to heal yourself, you know? Yeah. I find that it's so tricky. You know, Dr. King has this quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I think that I can speak for myself. I really use that in a lot of ways to talk about how we need to be advocating for communities that are outside of our own. Like we, we can't afford to just care about what happens to, to our people. Um, because if, if injustice is happening right next door, it's only a matter of time before it hits your door anyhow. But then I hear you saying, you know, that it is okay to hold space for a particular community um, in a given forum without necessarily having to live, you know, fall into oppression Olympics. You know what I'm saying? And we're, and we're talking about, well, but this happened, or my people, or my people are really getting it here. I know Sean really struggles with a lot of that because, you know, he has this enormous platform and, and people have the mistaken belief that anything he posts about, um, all of a sudden becomes important or all of a sudden gets national attention. And it's just, that's just not the case. There's so many different factors that go into what takes a story, you know, to the next level. And, and then they also believe that if he doesn't post about it, he doesn't care about it. And, and that's just not the case. It, you know, there are, there are only so many hours in a day. And I will say this about my husband. He does feel particularly called to the Black community. And he's very careful about posting things, you know, even with the AAPI things that are going on right now, you know, it's, it's 
it's a slippery slope or it's a thin line or it's a tricky situation, like whatever you want to call it, because a lot of people um, are taking advantage of this situation to cast a negative light on the black community. Um, and, and Sean is always just kind of walk, trying to walk this tightrope of, of course I care about injustice happening anywhere and everywhere, but also uh, wanting to make sure that he's being true to what he believes is, you know, his primary work. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I feel heavy just thinking about like the heaviness and the, the importance and the heaviness of just the work, um, whether, you know, just in terms of fighting all the levels of it. And oftentimes uh, Ray and I talk a lot about self-care or, you know, uh, whatever it is, recovery, whatever you want to call it. Um, so we're just wondering, you know, with all that you do, what do you do to take care of you? What do you do um, as your outlet um, that you might you may or may not post on social media for the for the people to know? Mm. I bet you kiss those fat baby cheeks or those fat oh. baby legs. <laughs> that has to help. Yeah, <laughs> I do a lot of loving on my children. Um, you know, prior to having uh, babies, I used to ride my um, spin bike every morning and I'd watch documentaries. Like at seven in the morning, I st start watching documentaries of like Dr. King or Quirky Gonzalez or um, Russell Means, you know. Um, and so, um, but I pray a lot. Um, I smudge, you know, I know now it's a, a, a new thing, but um, I have my mentor, Nane Alejandres, um, has a healing center in Santa Cruz called the Walter Guzman Healing Center. And so when I would come to California, I would make it up to Santa Cruz and we'd have sweat. And, you know, I'd allow myself to cry or just dump um, and sing songs Um but really what I do now is I love up all my babies. I pray a lot. I pray every, I don't know, I feels like every second of the day I'm praying. Um, and I walk, I exercise. Um, I really believe in exercising. I believe in eating healthy. I believe in, 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 you know, believing in something higher. And I will, you know, smudge. And I'm not perfect. Um, I will be honest with you, um, you know, I, having babies is a new thing for me. I thought I was going to be an amazing, I, I think I'm a good mom. Um, my kids are <laughs> loving. Um, but, you know, I, I work a lot and I have to learn. Um, over the years, I'm learning to have, um, to have boundaries. I didn't have boundaries before. Anybody could get a hold of me. Four in the morning, I respond. You know, all those mm. different I put up boundaries for myself. Um, I, I also listen to Guapale in the morning, Closer. I don't know if y'all know the song Closer from Guapale. Uh, I don't know that one. I know the album. I mean, I've, I used to listen when I needed my. Yeah. My, yeah. my censoring, just pick pick one song, any song. Yeah. What is that? Is, is the artist Guapale? Yeah, it's uh, Guapale. There's a song called Closer. It talks about Closer to My Dreams. Um, and just kind of facing challenges and obstacles. I've been listening to her since I was in college. And that's kind of been my, my theme song throughout the years. Um, but there's also a quote that I recite to myself. Um, it's uh, by Marianne Williamson. It was a 1994 inauguration for Nelson Mandela's quote. 
uh, that says our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, positivity all around. Um, I don't really deal with negative people. Um, you know, I got Girl, that I don't know how you've I don't know how you've managed to do that. I will say, you know, like you alluded to some of the struggles that different activists, you know, when when they're in the fire, Tamika Mallory comes to mind for sure because I know she's in the fire right now. Uh my husband threw himself in there with her. <laughs> I'm like, you could sit this one out. No. Uh, but he threw himself in, in there in there with her. And, you know, staying away from negativity and negative people, girl, that is that is more than a notion, right? Because I find myself sometimes Blanca talking about she can't believe I, I, I said a cuss word, but girl, you should have seen me um in my comments the other day. I was like, oh, yeah. have it. <laughs> I, I need to go back. I've been so away from social media, but I need to go back. This is back. No, girl, I deleted it. Anyway. Come on. I was so petty. I was so petty. But I I, I ended up deleting it because it was it was messing up my spirit. It was messing up my energy. I just ended up blocking the people and and moving on. So Carmen, what you're saying, like that's especially in the activist space, not dealing with negative people, that is an intentional decision, right? That you have to make because um they they they're always there. Yeah. And, and, you know, just in regards to the activist space, like, again, activist is not a term that I use, right, often. I know that I get associated with the term activist. Um, we need to stop being purist. We need to stop believing that we are woke, that we are self-righteous, that we are purist. That is a white supremacist mentality. We need to stop being mm. to white supremacy. Um, if you don't do things the way others do it, that's okay. Let me just mm-hmm. tell you about me. I am Sophista Ratchet. I love sophistication. <laughs> when I go home with my family, I am dancing. I am kicking it. I love my family. They are not your activist, purist family. My family has a lot of flaws. We have people who, you know, were 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 you know are formerly incarcerated we have doctors we have everybody in my family and you know i'm not going to show up in a way that i am an elitist because that's not what we are and so oftentimes in this world we we think that you know carmen's hair needs to be a little bit more slick her eyebrows need to be a little bit more on fleet no actually like i don't always need to show up this way and that's what's happened is that people believe that there are perfect leaders and there aren't right we're all and we need to have some really realistic expectations about people and I will not participate in an argument I did show up for Tamika on Twitter and somebody was trying to come for her and for me and I was like look I got receipts of her activism we slept on floors we slept in basements me and Tamika purse are both of us have used our credit cards uh to fly to Flint uh, to put people up, to pay for people's food. Um, we did that before anybody even know, knew who we were. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. I know her heart, um, you know, and and also Linda, and I will always show up for them. But at the end of the day, the people that are like, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how people got time. I don't got time. That's what I'm saying. Girl. I miss on Twitter. I miss so much. <laughs> I 
I don't have time to be on social media. I know I try to post, but I got also help from my team. I got to shout out to the Gathering for Justice and Justice League NYC and Justice League California. I have the dream team. Um, a lot of my femtees are amazing, um, but I have a lot of support. But I don't have time. I don't have time to take selfies. We're not allowed to take selfies in prisons to show the work that we do. You know, right. now a lot yeah. of people take pictures in prisons because they, but you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, we weren't allowed cell phones in there. You're still not allowed a cell phone. Um, I, I, do, I mean, the one thing I will say is I do think that because we're boxing ourselves and what activism, so what what is activism? It's not any different than what what we started out this segment was saying when you said, you know, I used to think feminism was this, but I realized that my mother was a feminist because it was a strong woman. And so if activism is me showing up, there are so many people who are not professionally an activist and are very much an activist. And I don't need to show you, you know, my your teachers are activists. They're showing up. There are people who have crawled their way into these white spaces and boardrooms and are the only ones. They are trying to crack this wall down. Those are activists. And I do think like when we right. just like, I don't, who am I? Why do I need to prove the work? Why do I need to show it? Sometimes it doesn't look one way, right? It's not a monolithic way of activism. It's not a monolithic way of disrupting it. And so, um, that's the word, Blanca. That, um, yeah, that's the word right there. You are right. And you know what? We, I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to like make it seem, um, and you know what? I'm going to embrace my activist title. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you just, I reject it so much because of this purest mentality, right? But you're, I got to own that stuff. We can't allow people to, to, to um, bring fear or hate into our hearts when that really doesn't exist or make us reject certain things that are actually really beautiful. It is beautiful to show up for other people. It is beautiful mm -hmm. to fight. And it is beautiful to do these things. And um, man... I know, um, Blanca, listen, you, you, you <laughs> actually, Carmen, I was going to say the same thing. Blanca and I do a wrap up at the end uh, where we talk about what we're taking away from our interview. And that's what I was going to take away because I, I do the same thing. I run away from the term activist. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not an activist. That's Sean. That's my husband's work. You know, <laughs> I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I'm a bunch of other things, but do not call me an activist. And really what I what I realize now as a result of being in this conversation with you brilliant women is that the reason I am running away from it is what really what I'm running away from is the white supremacist expectation of perfection within that role. And I don't want to be held to a particular standard of perfection because I see the way that activists today get ripped apart and I don't want any part of it. So don't call me that when, when in actuality, I am showing up and activating my gifts and my skills and my talent to the betterment of other people in other communities, which by default makes me an activist, damn it. So yeah. <laughs> I was, I was triggered when the protest started happening about a year ago, I was like, people like, are you going out there to march? Cause I live in, there was, I live in Brooklyn and bed and it was like, a, it was not, it was like literally around the corner. And I was like, no. And I'm like, but why not? Aren't you for the movement? I was like, well, you, we seem to think that that's only one way of showing up. I've been showing up, right? Like I've been, I've been having these conversations. I've been fighting for things. You don't have to, I don't have to post it. I don't have to take pictures. I don't, this, that's not why I do the work. Right. Uh, and there is, 
there, I will say that there is a, a need for the people need to see some something happening, right? Like we need to see something. That's just not how I show up, right? That's not the that's not the way it speaks to me. Um, and so, and then it makes me think of just like, you know how how you mentioned, you know, your raising and your, you know, how your your mother and your father, and it just makes me think of how my mother, no way, shape, or form by any stretch, has had formal education, has knows what any of these terms mean, knows anything, and has fought for so much for her children, right? Um, and I remember her in her limited English and in her, you know, she had a speech impediment when she, she was, I was five or six years old going into school. And I remember her yelling at Mr. Lerner, my elementary school principal at this moment, she got out to Brooklyn. Um, and she went and she said, she does not deserve to be in that class. She's really smart. Like all of these things she was saying, I'm sitting there crying because my mother was a Catholic woman who talked about God and she didn't say nothing. She just, and I'm crying because my mother's yelling and who wants to see their mother yelling all the time. Um, and so, and she didn't yell uh, often. Right. And so to see her doing that, I was like, she just, I was six and I still at 43 years old, remember that moment. Right. Yes. And so like, that's, that's a form of, of activism. And when I think of, I work in schools, I work with schools, when our parents show up to fight for their kids and fight for that, that's that's activism. That's activism, yes. right? And not so I just um so yeah, so I just I oftentimes my daughter is a huge she speaks up on many things. Um she's very vocal. <laughs> that's what she got as her superlative in second grade was an advocate award. And so, you know, like she's got her mini activism. And so embrace all of our activism, y'all. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. There's a lot of things that don't make it to, you know, social media. There's, you know, so much uh, work behind the scenes that happens in order to make like a stage, you know, whatever it may be, you know, and there's always a lane for everybody. Like, you know, that's, there's a lane, you know, there's your activism, right? You do it through education. There's other people's activism that advocate for their own children. Um, there's so much and we just need it all, right? We need it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, gosh, Carmen, Blanca and I could talk to you for forever. <laughs> there's so much to unpack and, um, you know, so much that we could talk about. But uh, we do have a letter from our listener. And so let's move on to that. We got a letter from a Today's letter comes from LaShonda in Detroit, and um, it's a good one. Um, I'm very interested to see what you all have to say. Okay, it says, what do you do when your biggest obstacles at work are not the white managers in your workspace, but other women of color? Because I value sisterhood and really want community with the Black women in my space. But the level of competition and criticism and negativity from my own is weighing on me heavily. How do I navigate this? I'm like, what? That's a problem. I never heard of that before. Oh my gosh, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. 
did you go to uh, Spelman? <laughs> Girl, listen, I went to Spelman. I can honestly say I did not have any negative. I didn't have any issues like that at Spelman. Now, I wasn't the most involved person, and so it's not like I would have come up against that. But I can honestly say that I really experienced really nothing but sisterhood while I was at Spelman. Okay, I will say that since leaving, it has been an eye-opening experience to have even some of my Spelman sisters kind of chime in on the the foolishness around my husband. I mean, y'all don't don't even get me started on that. But um, <laughs> but it we is. Didn't it say is nothing. We didn't say anything. Know, right? <laughs> you sit here, y'all don't get me started. You started yourself. <laughs> I don't, don't want to open that Pandora's box, but I will say that. It has been difficult as someone who values sisterhood. And I've, I've, I've been in this experience at, at a workspace, too, you know, where some of my biggest issues were with other Black women in that space. And even that is all of it, whether it's online or at work, it is all a symptom of white supremacist culture, right? And that causes us to think that we have to fight for our space. We have to fight for our seat at the table in order for one of us to come up, we've got to knock the other one down. You know what I'm saying? So I feel I feel nothing but sympathy, really, for um, women who are in this position of feeling like they can't win if their sister is also winning. Because I've, I've never, you know, I'd rather let you have the seat before I fight my sister over it. That's just me personally. But what do, what do you all think? I grew up with sisters... Um... And I will say that, like, for me, there's enough for everybody, right? And if you have, um, and then there are folks that are people of color that do take on a persona that is not aligned with some of our values as people of color, right? Um, and I just, you know, the way in which you navigate those spaces is just by building relationships. You know, at the end of the day, um, I believe in transformative relationships, right? Um, and I may not agree with the way in which some people, you know, I had a conversation recently with somebody who believed one certain thing and I just kind of was like, well, have you ever thought about it this way? You know, I just want to give you a little bit of insight. Um, and you just chip away little by little. Um, but it is challenging, right? It is challenging when um, it is not the white folks in the space, it's the people of color. Um, and, you know, uh, I believe in one-on-ones, but maybe that's me, you know, organizing people. Uh, Mr. Belafonte says, meet people where they're at, champion them to your cause. And that's what mm -hmm. I do. I try to find the common ground first mm -hmm. get into our differences and then try to figure out how we bring in people slowly but surely. Um, so, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that's good. Yeah, and on the highest self days, right? Like, that's how you show up, right? Like, that's how, you know, what I often say to folks, too, is that we internalize a lot of this same smog, right? We swim in the same smog or same water. Um, and so racism has us believing certain things about ourselves and has us believing in this idea of scarcity and who, you know, and so... Um, that's where colorism comes up with all of these just levels of, um, you know, the, the hierarchy of language, hierarchy of language, right? Like who and who is more, um, who's considered more of whatever your race is, like who's, who's black enough or who's Latina enough or who's the, like, all of this, 
Um, and so on a, on a, on the highest self days where I'm like, we are all in this. And so I have to understand that you have processed this. And sometimes us internalizing this is a, is a way for our survival. Yeah. Yeah. I'm to survive. And this is how I've been taught to survive. And yeah. Sometimes shows up by putting a wall. Um, sometimes by putting other people down because I'm trying to climb my way to the top and I've been told. So, um, so, you know, to, to the listener, uh, you know, what advice would you, I mean, I think we all have been like on our, on our best selves days. It is like seeking to understand. It is about asking questions. It is, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge name and I don't know if you understand the impact of what you have said. I feel like I've said that before. There's like, I don't know if you've understood the impact of what you said, but this is how it landed on me when you said the following, right? Okay, um, Blanca, but what about on your not better self days? <laughs> like, that's where you weed out negative people, right? Like, I'm going to say what I say and I'm done. Like, I'm not repeating myself over and over. So I've said what I said and now we got to move on. I feel like you and I have had these conversations. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm like, oh, Blanca, put your business out there. Um, but like, you know. <laughs> Um, but now in my better days, I don't, ha- I literally, I, there's a wall between us. And so like, I don't, if, unless I have to deal with you, I won't. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, and that, that is about setting boundaries and bar- you know, boundaries. So, yeah. It's, it's really sad to me, right. That, um, that we can't, uh, coexist or co like enjoy things together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I think about these work environments. Um, the teams that I try to create in my organization are ones of uh, collaboration, of family, of um, and and you know, and courageous conversations. And it's not always easy, right, to have that courageous conversation. But it's really, cha- I think it's really sad to me when you go into a work environment and you see the potential, and people just don't get along, and. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, people can actually begin to identify what the agreements are between us. Like, what are our agreements, right? Like, what are the agreements for us to actually have some joy? Because life is too short. I'm sorry. Like, life is too short. I know we talk about, like, let's just cut the person off. But I've been in an environment where, I I mean, it just seems like, uh, a you know, I'm very forgiving. I come from a different place, but I had a sister killed. My dad just died. Like I, I believe life is too short. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also know like there's certain people that just love tension. Like they thrive mm-hmm. off of that. Right. And that's where I think to Dr. Blanca's point is like, that's where you just got to keep it moving. Right. Like you just got to protect boundaries. Um, but it's sad that society even, um, feels that there's no ability to even connect on a human level with other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We can close, we can close this out. The other thing I will say is that sometimes when I am, sometimes when there's like tension between you, like an, in two individuals, what we do is talk about like what they do, what they do. And so, you know, how do we pick up the mirror and think about our own how, how we show up in the relationship too, right? Mm-hmm. So is there something about the way we're showing up? And so I'll just end with that, right? Um, as something else to think about. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Awesome. Thank you for your question. Um, thank you for your question, LaShonda. Uh, hope it gets better, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, Carmen, your wow story. Wow story. What is your wow story? What is my wow story? What is your wow story? What is your wow story?
story, wild story. What is your wild story? Okay, Carmen, so now it is time for us to hear your wild story. First of all, I wish I could say your name like Blanca uh, said, <laughs> said your name, um, but I'll just I'll stick with Carmen for now so I don't make a fool of myself. But we want to hear your wild story, your I cannot believe this happened story. Uh, we like to share these stories, one, because they're fun and sometimes really juicy. We've had some very interesting ones um, over the seasons, but... Um, also, because we all are in situations sometimes and we're like, what the hell? Like, what did that really just happen? And uh, we can feel very isolated in that moment. So we like to share these stories so that our sisters out there know that they're not alone. We have all faced crazy situations and sometimes reacted appropriately in the morning, in the moment. And sometimes wish we could go back and redo that because maybe it wasn't our best moment. So, uh, Carmen, share with our listeners, what is one of your wow stories? Oh, and I know Dr. Blanca said that I can't share all seven of them. So I'm going <laughs> to um, There have been a lot of wow stories. Um, I moved back to California three years ago and I just kind of feel, and I, and I just recently moved back to New York City. So I'm going to give you the moving back to New York City, actually on my way uh, back to New York City. So I have, you know, I'm married to a man named Jay Jordan, who is uh, African-American. And um, we have two beautiful children um, that are Chicanos. Uh, they're Mexican, indigenous, and black. Um, and then we have a nephew who is living with us, who's supporting. He's also African-American. Um, and we were, uh, you know, at Tulsa Airport um, because we were moving from, we had moved from California at the end of January to Tulsa to be with my in-laws, my husband's parents, um, in Oak Muggy. Um, and then we're going to make our way here to New York. Um, and so, uh, last Wednesday, uh, we make our way from Oklahoma to New York city and we're, um, we just passed, T we're at TSA, you know? And so everybody's like, oh my God, you're, you have such a beautiful family. And so we're getting our stuff, right? And um, a white woman behind us, um, you know, they check my bags because I have water in there for the babies and I got snacks for the babies. And so they, mm -hmm. they moved me to the side and they're like examining our stuff. And my husband is pushing the stroller uh, with my two-year-old, and then my nephew is pushing the stroller with my six-month-old. And the white woman comes, and she basically accuses us, my husband and my nephew, of stealing her wallet. Oh! Uh -huh. And so um, our airline was to the right, and her airline was to the left, her terminal. Um, and so... Uh, she actually comes over. So after everybody in TSA is like, oh my God, you have such a beautiful family and we're all, thank you, thank you. We're on a, mm -hmm. such a high because mm -hmm. we through TSA without like breaking down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. 100%. Yes. And so uh, we were just, you know, getting our things checked and they're just checking the water. Um, but to have, so I, I observed this woman looking at my family. I observed her 
Um, and then at some point she said that somebody stole her wallet and I'm not trying to like drop name brands, but like my husband is a name brand person. I, I wear anything that looks good, whether I buy it at H where, wherever I get it from, right. I could buy it at a corner store. Uh, but my, you know, my husband bought me some Balenciagas. He bought me like some Louboutin, uh, wallet, right? Like, so, you know, he, he's, he decks me out. He's mm-hmm. dead out, right? We do financially great, you know, and um, mm-hmm. it was really fascinating because we were the only black and brown family in the whole airport. And she says that we that they stole her 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 thing. So I'm oh my gosh, I'm ordering food. I see the TS. I see her passing by, and I'm like, okay, she better keep it walking. Um, but then I see the TSA lady talking to my husband. And, you know, I run an organization called the Gathering for Justice that, that is grounded in the six principles of Kenyan nonviolence. So I practice nonviolence, which is a process every single day. I just want to, for our listeners, uh, nonviolence is not passive. It is, um, you know, actually not the absence of violence. It's the presence of love and justice. Um, but for me, nonviolence kind of when you step to my husband not and or you you come aggressively to my family nonviolence kind of is like way back and and you right. know like way way back yeah so i saw myself like getting up and going towards this woman and i and and my husband had handled it so beautifully mm-hmm. um i see him Right. And one of the things that that made me just really angry is the fact that and it's the reason why I show up so aggressively when it comes to Black Lives Matter is because I see it. Right. It's in my I see it. I experience it all the time. Um, But the TSA woman was just so gracious. She basically was like, look, this woman isn't supposed to be here. She's you know, we know you didn't take anything and we apologize and whatever we can do to make you feel more comfortable. But I was ready to run after that woman and give her a piece of my mind and let her know. I know that's right. And I have not allowed myself to be taken out of my character of, of who I am for such a long time. But I was just so sick of the way in which I witnessed this, you know, this treatment, right? Um, but yeah, that happened. Uh, we laughed about it afterwards because of how quick I stormed from Chile <laughs> to the wall, like, like crazy with my neck already bobbling. Um, Especially at an airport. Like, who is chilling? Like, no one is on low alert at an airport. And like, so to have it all happen, it's just like all the building. And then that happens. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's rough. I, I'll never forget the first time, you know, my son is, um, 14 years old and you know he's a baby to me like still very he still crawls up in my bed and you know hugs and loves on us and I, I'll never forget being out with him uh, we were on a ferry in Manhattan and he had a hoodie on and we were coming down the steps and I caught a white woman look at him and pick her purse up and and pull it towards her and it it like it took me aback because I had never I'd never witnessed anything like that before. Of course, I've heard stories and all of that. But then to see that woman look at my son and think that about him, it was painful, honestly. It was extremely painful to realize, oh, okay, he's past the you're so cute stage, right? And now he's entered the you're threatening kind of stage. And 
I also practice nonviolence, but only because no one has really given me the chance yet to be violent. Um, <laughs> so, because you I, ain't, I you, you, you ain't defaulting to it. Like, <laughs> you, I right. practice it, you know? Right, right. I, I practice I worry. not giving you an ass whooping. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. What might happen if given the opportunity? I, I don't know that, that nonviolence is actually my way, but especially when it comes to to your loved ones, yeah, people make you want to put hands on them. So yeah, my nephew, he's such a sweetheart. I could see her looking at him and my husband and and us. And um, but you know, I've never experienced that either. Like I've never grew up in a black and white town. I grew up in Oxnard. We were we were everything, right? Um, but you know, it it, it was hard. Um, to witness, and I witnessed it a lot there, um, and I'm I'm beginning to see it a little bit more than like me just rolling down the street by myself, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It's yeah. very very prominent, but yeah, I I kind of you know I'm glad we could laugh about it um, afterwards because it was like I know that woman wasn't trying to say you stole like did you know my husband was like did she see what you know and I was like uh, oh she don't know nothing like right. Day, she's miserable she looked miserable like that's mm-hmm. you know you got to feel bad for people because something happened in their lives or they were brainwashed to believe something it's just like at some point they ain't going to be around anymore you know we just gotta and to your point ray like the fact that you know i saw like for me my nephew is like this sweet boy right and yeah he's a threat and we got to change that you know we got to yeah. change and like that, and that's I will say because we gotta go to we're gonna close it out although we can't we don't want to but I will say that the the piece too is like yeah I'm I'm big on like the messages we get right your nephew saw that yeah experience yeah. he can't un- unsee it right and yeah. not y'all process it with him and all that stuff but it's still an experience right and so yeah wow wow just wow, wow. exactly wow that wow. Okay, well, Carmen, listen, it has been so wonderful um, spending this time with you. Thank you so much for carving out this space. I know that is not an easy uh, thing to do at all. So thank you. Thank you for sharing um, so openly and giving. That's the last piece, though, right, Ray? Right, right, right. Of course. Oh, right. Right. Oh, right. Leave yeah, leave Close her out without hearing her, her wise words to leave the room. No, we're going to ask her for one more thing, which is your your words of affirmation. Like I said, you've given so much already. Like people get a lot from this podcast. Uh, Blanca and I are constantly hearing from people like, when y'all gonna bring it back? When's it starting? Like this this community, this space means a lot to women who look like us and have to navigate these spaces. So, so thank you for being a part of it. And if we can ask you for one more thing, what is the affirmation you would like to leave our listeners? Um, the affirmation I would like to leave your listeners with is, you know, and I said this before, is that there's a lane for you, right? Um, always know that um, whatever you decide to do in life, um, do that with all your heart. Connect to people that are not just like-minded, but are like-hearted. 
that actually weighs a lot easier on the heart than anything else. Um, but, you know, if you have a talent, you know, I know that people are activists and do this work um, in their own right. But if you have a talent, if you, you know, if you know how to post on social media, if you know, if you're an artist, if you're um, a lyricist, if you're any of those things, we need you to show up um, and to advocate for the issues that impact your community. Um, you know, not all of us were born activists. Um, something in life activated us to get involved. Um, and so I just want to remind you of your worth. Um, I want to remind you that we need you, uh, we see you, we hear you, we feel you, and we love you. And um, I'm so grateful to the both of you for allowing me to share. Um, I think every time I share a little bit about what I experienced in the Women's March, it's healing for me. And so I hope that people um, who are watching uh, find this healing for them as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, coming. And is there, is there some somewhere where listeners can follow you if they aren't already or any of your yeah so on twitter and instagram um at ms lady justice one um miss lady justice one and then i'm carmen perez um jordan on um hyphen jordan on facebook um but yeah give me you know reach out to me i'm more than happy to like you know respond to folks um and really excited to, you know, share a little bit of um, me on social media. I'm not really on Twitter, but I am on IG occasionally. And I do see messages, um, you know, when people ask me questions, you know, I get a little spicy here and there. Um, <laughs> part, you know, I love sharing photos of my babies. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then where can they follow your work with the, the gathering for justice? Yeah. Or so you could go to um, at gather number four justice or at NY Justice League. Um, we also have a website, www.gatheringforjustice.org. Um, and then we also, I'm the founder of another platform that used to be called Chise Puede. It's now called uh, Poderistas. Um, it's at Poderista um, on social media, at P-O-D-E-R-I-S-T-A. Um, and it's also a platform for women, for Latinx women to really find their power. Um, and so it's a cultural um, outlet, but it's also, you know, uh, helping people um, navigate through the political world. Um, so that's another platform. And yeah, really excited to, to be part of these different uh, communities. And you know, join us, join our work. We need more people to get involved. So there's a lane for you. There's a place yeah. for you. Thank awesome. You. Well, all those resources, all those things she named will be on our website at the northstar.com. Um, under this podcast episode, we'll include links to all of those things so you can continue to follow Carmen's work. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.